Welcome to the third season of That's So Second Millennium. This is the Catholic Science Podcast where we explore the fascinating borderlands between science and theology, through realms of philosophy, human experience, and more. This is episode 96 of That's So Second Millennium. For this episode, Bill returned to visit Dr. Darsha Narvais at Notre Dame. He interviewed her in February of 2020 and discussed her work on parenting and what she calls the evolved nest. It's her thesis, and she's not alone in this, that parenting and our experiences as children shape how we approach our whole lives. Society is just the gathering of all our individual lives, so it is likewise shaped by our parenting and childhood experiences. A key role in understanding a lot of what's wrong with human life and human society is to understand abandonment, in the sense that you can be abandoned as a child even when your parents are both still there. She encourages us to think about the similarities between our human relationships and our relationships with the rest of nature. Perhaps one of her more controversial beliefs is that primitive peoples had a far, far better connection with one another, a far better sense of relationship with one another and with nature than we do. There's some senses in which that's controversial, some senses in which that's probably not. She believes that we can recall a time that practices from people like the Sand Bushmen still recall a time before we lost this sense of proper relationship with one another and with nature. She uses the term autism to describe both our, relation, our lack of relationship with one another, and she also coins the term ecological autism to mean an inability to relate well with nature. According to her, what we need to do to remedy these dire problems with our own existence is to restore, at least for our children, some sense of this nesting where we become secure in our relationships with people and with nature. So with that, I'll let her speak for herself. Here is the interview with Bill and Darsha Narvaez from February 2020. Thank you, Dr. Darsha Narvaez. Uh, for joining us today, and uh, we're very excited to to talk with you. You're a, a noted uh, professor of psychology at the University of Notre Dame, and a, a, a noted and kind of groundbreaking author with um, with books like uh, Neurobiology and the Development of Human Morality, Evolution, Culture, and Wisdom. Um, it really pulls together an awful lot, as the title suggests, and uh, you help us all to better see the kind of connectedness, the need for connectedness uh, amongst people, especially perhaps uh, young people and parent, uh, parenting families, uh, through what you've called the evolved nest. And it's um, and in in fact, if people want to learn more uh, about that subject you're writing at evolvednest.org. But while some people might see an academic book like this as uh, a source of experimental uh, data uh, from the past, and some people might see uh, the, the very valuable and well-read blogs that you write, etc., to be kind of piece-by-piece um, -piece offerings of tips for parents and all, uh, am I right that basically uh, you're, you're really offering us 
a uh, roadmap or a, a lens through which to see uh, the current day and to uh, to uh, assess it and to perhaps assess our role in it. Is that true? Yes. My <clears throat> when I think of today's society and the state of the world, my heart breaks because of all the suffering that's occurring uh, in every realm and every uh, society, community, and species even. And uh, it's just uh, mind-boggling how we got here because this is not how we used to be. And so my scholarship has been to explore how did we get here, uh, what went wrong, and what can we do to fix it. Mm-hmm. And so it really is a kind of running assessment uh, and uh, not just any uh, particular uh, matchup of, uh, of data to particular problems. It's a whole kind of uh, an ecology of challenges. Is that right? That's uh, right, yeah. Um, what would be a, a few of the, the uh, ones that you see rising to the surface other than the very profound ones for the uh, for parents uh, and their kids uh, what would be some of the most profound ones that you see kind of surfacing every day in the uh, lives that we lead the news that we watch the the trends that we're observing that's a big question <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot sorry <laughs> you have a few days <laughs> to reiterate though that the beginning of life is critical for how our brains function uh, and they set up our worldview and so if you're under cared for as a child which means you're not nested in our evolved sense if you're not nested then uh, you will have difficulty dealing with new experiences you'll have difficulty with uh, uh, you'll see threat more easily and be more stress reactive, which undermines how you think and how you open yourself up to others. And you probably won't have all sorts of micro skills of getting along, which develop otherwise in a nested environment where the baby's held a lot most of the time and kept calm. And mm -hmm. uh, while the brain is growing so rapidly every second, shaping the personality of the baby and the well-being of the baby for the long term. So... I see all over the place in the United States where we, we live uh, uh, the results of uh, children who are un, were unnested as adults. Mm. Uh, so you can see that there's a lot of stress reactivity, a lot of people that just can't get along. They can't, they get too uh, reactive and judgmental and they uh, get so distressed they, they have to leave or fight or withdraw. Those are the symptoms of over uh, stress reactivity, and uh, they don't think very well either. And then what happens is because you have this cycle of having undercared for children, creating uh, bodies, minds, spirits who are just not very well equipped to get along in the world, and then those are the people that control the society and the institutions and the way we our culture moves forward. And so we're in this downward cycle right now, mm. of of uh, undercared for uh, children, leading to ill-being in adulthood, and a culture that undermines our cooperative, natural cooperative nature otherwise when we're cared for and nested. 
And so we end up with a culture of competitive detachment where people can't connect, they don't know how, and they just uh, get into their primitive mindsets of, of me first because that's what feels safe, you know, or you either dominate or you submit, dominate, submit, and that's all they know, a very inflexible way of living. They have to be scripted. They find ideologies that make them feel superior to somebody mm. in order to get through the day. <laughs> and so you see that everywhere, right? It's like us yeah. against them. And, and people who tell us, you know, to, you know, worry about them over there are very attractive when we have a very deep hole in our soul from that undercare, from that lack of nestedness, from the lack of connection to not only other people, and it starts with mom and dad and family and neighborhood community, but also to the natural world. Our species evolved with nature to be connected and intertwined relationally with all the entities around us to have actual relationships with the trees and the rivers and the animals uh, and we think that's all insane now we uh, from the western left brain perspective we think oh that's silly and romantic ah uh, no but that's our species and that's what's sustainable right so we've lost this insight insightful intelligence our receptive intelligence to the natural world what I work on with my students is try to reconnect them, get them in habit, uh, forming habits that help them connect back to nature mm. and to actually learn how to be flexibly attuned to each other and to children. And so that's what we're doing in my class. Wow. And so I think we all need those things. We need help doing it. We're all wounded. We're all primarily wounded from our undercare that our culture promotes, that our parents were forced into doing uh, for one reason or another. And so we all carry this woundedness and disconnected, a feeling of abandonment. And so when you feel abandoned, you just react more self-centeredly. Uh, you can't help it. Uh, and so we've got that going on all over the place, wounded people, and then they're told to blame those other people over there. Right. And so then that feels good because you feel like there's some reason I feel so bad. It's them. Yes. <laughs> you know? And so it's just a mess. <laughs> yeah. People are feeling um, weak uh, and uh, feeling under stress and a lot of very legitimate uh, economic and, and sociological and other ways. Uh, we've, got, we've had the, the rise of social media and, and other uh, perhaps substitutes for nests or substitutes for community that, like Facebook I'm thinking of, uh, where uh, we're supposed to present this happy, joyful, no cares uh, picture of ourselves to the world. And it, it seems to uh, be uh, just piling hypocrisy on top of all of our other problems. Yeah, deception. Yes. So I think the whole culture is filled with deception. So the baby is told, for example, oh, we love you and we're going to leave you alone. We're going to leave you to cry. And so the baby... Uh, from the beginning, in those circumstances, uh, hears lies, feels lies, and uh, then has to pretend, has to lie to get their needs met. They have to scream a lot, they have to, you know, have a tantrum, whatever it is, in order to get the needs met that, in our uh, ancestral context, would have just been met without any uh, force. So the, you enter in a coercive relationship back and forth. Parents coerce the baby, the baby coerces the parents or the child, you know, becomes yeah. a little Nero, 
and then right. the parents are feel guilty because they're not there all the time or whatever it is and so then you get this what looks like very spoiled children but they were kind of ruined at the beginning because the parents didn't know what they were doing and they were misinformed uh, about what they should be doing to honor that baby and so the dishonoring starts from the beginning and then we're filled with uh, well the capitalist system is all about deception you know you need this you're you're unworthy you're lacking here buy this you'll feel yeah. better because capital wants more money and more profit it's all about profit 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 yeah and we don't need these things but we're told over and over we do and we have this deep hole in ourselves from the <laughs> lack of nastiness and right. so capitalism uh, just seems to thrive in that kind of uh, it creates these people with emptiness and then it tries to fill it but never really because the carrot's always out in front of us we can never really reach it you once you take a bite then there's a new carrot and you got to have that carrot right, right. <laughs> and goes on and on but that's capitalism yes yeah <laughs> and uh not just uh the uh, for-profit world of capitalism but even the world of uh, advocacy non non-profit organizations sometimes it's in their interest to raise money. That's the, that is still the ultimate driver. But they uh, so many times I feel that, that uh, people are raising money by uh, not just getting us engaged, but rather getting us enraged. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, 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 it feeds on itself. Uh, it, might, it might be a short-term source of funding for different causes and all, some of them good. But it doesn't really, uh, it's, it doesn't seem sustainable. Right. It's just changes around the edges. Yes. It's not changing the system. The system should be about well-being. Yeah. Uh, the well-being of families, well-being of children, well-being of communities, right? That's what life used to be like. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hundreds of years ago. But in the last few hundred years, it's shifted. And now yeah. families are secondary. The environment, the natural world is secondary. Everything is secondary to capital. Yes. So that's yeah. where we are. Yes. Speaking of advocacy groups, is there any way to build up a stronger and broader network of advocacy or of advocates who have this uh, more ecological and holistic and evolved nest kind of approach who can actually bring this awareness uh, which would be a, a, a source of easing social polarization, I think. Is there a way to, to, to spread this awareness more widely in society? Uh, yeah, well, that's what I try to do with my blog, and we'll be writing yeah. more books, uh, more for regular people instead of academics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and podcasts and things. But um, I think it's important to... I'm writing a chapter right now on practical wisdom. Mm. And often when it's discussed among philosophers, it's sort of this abstract thing, you know, you do the right thing in the right way at the right time in the particular situation, and then there's like nothing grounded, it's just this kind of uh, mantra uh, and for me, I think we have to get back to the here and now, which is part of our heritage and is much more the eastern view of uh, practical wisdom. How are you in this moment with the other person? Are you honoring them? Are you flexibly attuned? Are you aware of all the implications of your actions and all the uh, ramifications and consequences that might ensue? Right now, then, are you making a good decision, taking a good action? Are you, you know, 
uh, here and now-ism, uh, yeah. in the good way, right. uh, I think is really important. And we have to start in our own communities, in our own relationships. And so that means not with only with people, so indigenous wisdom, is also with the ants that we meet, the mosquitoes, the birds, the squirrels. Are we in good relationship with all of them right now? Wherever we're, whoever we touch, whichever uh, entity is around us, are we treating it with respect now? Now, if we focus there, that will reverberate out. And we all need, instead of what happens, unfortunately, I think, is non-governmental or, uh, organizations and other advocacy groups go out and want to fix them. <laughs> those people over there in Africa, those people over there in South America, wherever it is, yeah. instead of fixing right the log in your own eye, right. they're going for the little moat over there. It's like, come on, let's get our relationships right here. And that's practical wisdom. It's like, how do we live well, respectfully, honorably, now here with you and me? Yeah, yeah. One of the things uh, Paul, my co-host, and I look at in our series is the separate or the unfortunate separation of uh, science from religion, especially the teaching of the two in uh, high schools, and and the the risk that uh, uh, that the, that separation uh, can uh, lead uh, a lot of kids to that uh, scientific focus that actually uh, causes them to discard uh, religion and faith and, and spirituality. My, uh, you're making me think that uh, uh, perhaps one thing that goes on in uh, religion classrooms, you know, if uh, kids are being catechized uh, with the catechism or whatever, uh, sometimes the focus is on, well, this is wisdom from the past, and apply it to today, and of course, a lot of wisdom is timeless. But I think, am I right that a lot of uh, rules of behavior, or at least guidelines for wise and kind uh, and community-oriented behavior, are uh, more more uh, about what you're thinking and how how you're experiencing in this moment? Is that right? Um, I think it might actually interest young people more if religion was presented as a phenomenon of this moment yeah. rather than something from 2,000 years ago or more. Yes, I like that. Yeah? I, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it, uh, if it can be, uh, be done. Part of that, and of course, isn't it a paradox that... Um, uh, it, we do so desperately need that kind of, at this moment, kind of uh, approach, a real awareness of the present. But at the same time, uh, we may, as a society, want to raise some cautionary notes about our forgetting of the past and our forgetting of the future. Um, somebody, uh, uh, an economics uh, guru, uh, the other day I heard was saying that uh, uh, negative interest rates that are occurring in different parts of the of the banking world are a sign that we're we've devalued the future that the passage of time and uh, the impact on uh, uh, next generations for instance has been totally 
washed out because we've kind of spent money from the future. We've borrowed against it, and now we just uh, now we just think about today. But I know that thinking about today in that sense is very different from the thinking about today that you're talking about. Right. The other thing we've done, though, is because we're not attending to our relationships with the, the river, the trees, uh, in our local landscapes, is we've devalued them and made them into commodities. We've made them objects, and so we cut them down. We pollute them, and mm. then that's a, a, a charge on future generations because well, they right. will not have the ecology for sustaining human life. Uh, in any other lives, uh, vertebrate life, anyway. And so uh, I think there's all sorts of costs that we have pushed to the future, yes. not just money. <laughs> That's right. just a minor thing. That's sort of an illusion anyway. Right. It's like been just extracting all of natural wonders and uh, riches from the planet and as if and externalizing those right as if uh extracting everything it doesn't have a cost it yeah. does have a cost it's costing the future <laughs> gosh yeah yeah and and is that right about uh spirituality too that uh uh if we had a better sense uh, uh and uh, existence in the moment uh spirituality would somehow be more vivid and vital and uh, something more tangible than it seems to be for a lot of people. I'm thinking of the nuns, you know, the non-affiliated mm -hmm. group uh, that's growing like Topsy now. Mm. Okay. Oh, uh, yes. 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 Uh, so what, what happens when you're unnested in early life is the right hemisphere, the right brain, is supposed to be growing rapidly, more rapidly. And that's the seat of our capacities for spirituality and empathy and connection mm -hmm. and awareness of transcendence. And when you under care for children, that part doesn't get grown very well. And then if you put them in school and have them read books and say, don't think or feel, uh, don't think about the bird out there and don't feel anything, right. you are then enhancing this very detached, uh, I call it detached imagination, thinking, intellect, uh, orientation to living and so you don't practice and you haven't developed those capacities for here and now experience so and if you've been traumatized you don't want to be here and now you either want to be thinking about the future so you don't feel the pain you have or so people who are anxious um, tend to be worried about the future right because they're not in the present moment yeah. or if they're depressed they're they're thinking about the past and they're stuck back there so you're stuck forward or back, yeah. and you're not in the present moment because of the wounding you've already had. And you've got to heal then and, and get yourself back in the present moment by going through some kind of therapy. And nature can do this for people, some people being in the forests and stuff, or therapy with a therapist or your right. self-help kinds of things. But um, you've got to heal it in order to be present. So I try to work with my students on practicing presence with one another. So we we uh, use some uh, ancestral practices from the San Bushmen that John Young, who's been a collaborator of mine, uh, has learned from them in, in uh, Southern Africa. And that is when you meet somebody, you greet them and welcome them. And you have openness and you listen and you let them shake off the road dust, which means that you let them tell you what happened to them on their way there or whatever is on their mind so they can mm. let it go. And then you talk about what you're grateful for. 
in relationship to that person or in general at that moment because that shifts your mindset to be here with that person. So you get yourself all ready to be here. Wow. And then you make decisions, you play, you whatever it is you're doing together. That's something, yes, yeah. Uh, but so much of our technological world and uh, so much of our media world uh, tries to unseat us from that awareness and distract us from that awareness and right. yeah and also um, I guess it, it it's uh, even the technology itself is enabling a kind of retreat to artificial reality and sometimes for some people the the artificial reality of video games seems more real to them right yeah well we're all becoming autistic which meaning meaning socially awkward and ecologically autistic which means we don't know how to relate to nature. So we've got a whole culture of that kind of uh, diminished capacities. And so interacting with screens, yeah, that seems nice. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't have any other skills. You right. Know, you know, so. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Are there, are there particular ways to, um, well, uh, you're, you're working on it with, with your students and... Um, I'd imagine that there are ways uh, to to pull ourselves a little bit away from from this simply by focusing again on not just family life in the sense that you know some advocates would say uh, you know uh, build build a family that's certainly true but it sounds like uh, we have to even step one step back and say. Build, rebuild the 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 nest and the nestedness that families used to represent. It's not just you know a, a three or four people who happen to be an intact uh, group in a in a particular house. It's an attitude. It's a spirit. It's a mm -hmm. uh, an approach to life. Right. Yes. But that's the uh, uh, we have we have trouble even just keeping families intact, much less keeping that's families true. on track. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's a good line. <laughs> Let's work on it. <laughs> but I, I, what do you think? Is that uh, are there other things that that can be done either for for families or for communities? Where I know that there's just such a uh, a real sense of polarization and nobody's talking with each other, and they don't know each other anymore. Yeah, so they don't go hang out. Right, just like the congressional representatives, they don't go hang out in the same lunchroom anymore. They've yeah. they shut down all those collaborative kinds of things, and and when people don't know each other, they make up, you know, they get all these superstitions and paranoia about each other. Yeah, the other people plant seeds of that, and then they start to believe it, and then when you face each other, you realize, oh, they're not like that. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's lack of experience. Right, so we need to get back out and do fun things together, have a joint goal that we're working on together, you know, build a park or a garden. That's interesting, or, yeah. Uh, have a play, Let's Play America shuts down, helps you, uh, guides you in how to shut down your block and have a play day for the neighborhood, you right. know, that kind of thing. We need to do those things where we hang out, you know, on the porches. People used to hang out on their porches instead of in front of the television set. Yeah. And people would walk around the neighborhoods. And Anyway, so a lot of things have changed because we're very frantic and anxious, and that's what a capitalist society does to you because everyone's on the rat race. Everything has yeah. to move faster and faster and get the next cool technology or you're out of it and you're low status right and it just does that crazy stuff to you and then it's all about capital it's not about any well-being 
except for money. Mm. So mm. when I was a student pastor, I um, my this is before I had a PhD. One of my earlier careers, I'm in my seventh career. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, what I did is I developed a course for adults called Moving Toward Wholeness, mm. and I feel like I'm still doing that with my students. So uh. what what did uh, what were the recommendations? What what did we do? Well, it was to journal every day wow. about how you're feeling, get to know yourself essentially, and. Mm. Uh, get out in nature every day, think a new thought every day, you know, so these are all things that help your brain grow, so keep you away from that rigid, stereotypic kind of thinking that gets comfortable if you don't, you know, push yourself. And then also play folk song games, which is where you play games like Farmer in the Dell, but maybe some more interesting ones. Right. And that's what we're doing in my class, and we're going to do that with the kindergartners on campus. Uh, in wow. a few weeks, yeah, we'll do other nature connection things with kindergartners. We'll have four sessions with them. So I would recommend in my list, I can't remember the whole list from that course when I was a student pastor, but uh, I would add play with kids. Wow. Free play with kids, you know, run around, chase, wrestle, so unplanned, and that grows your right hemisphere. It grows your capacity to connect, and all adults can do that. Any age can do that. Wow. Yeah, I, I love the fact that uh, uh, what your research found was the value of that uh, for young, very young uh, infants uh, who are, you know, uh, uh, in comparison to other uh, uh, animal species, uh, they're out of the womb way ahead of time, uh, and uh, under tremendous challenges to develop, uh, and uh, games and free play are part of the answer for them. And I love the fact that that's true for any age, really. Mm -hmm. That's right. Whatever keeps you in the present moment is going to grow your right hemisphere. That's what therapists have discovered, and uh, neurobiologists have discovered. So. Uh, so that would be drawing and painting and dancing and things. Whatever you have to be in the present moment and you're not in the future or the past, that is going to help. But it's best to do it in a social way so that you're gr uh, growing your social skills too. Right, right. And I, uh, when, you, when you talked about uh, just doing concrete things in a community like building a park, um, nowadays, uh, and this is maybe not so much our capitalist system, but our political world, uh, our first instinct is to say, well, let government do it. Mm. Uh, let these specialists do it, or we'll pay taxes and just somehow miraculously it will get done. Yeah. And I think we, a lot of adults yeah. don't know how to do anything anymore. Wow. We didn't teach, I mean, the shop classes got eliminated, I don't yeah. know how long ago, two decades ago maybe? Yeah, at least. And, mm -hmm. and uh, computer classes came in, right? So they don't learn how to build anything. Or the home economics courses; things got replaced with techno technological, computerized, um, whatever, and so people don't know how to build a fence. They don't know how to grow a garden. They don't know how to cook. <laughs> they don't know how to that, sew. I mean, right. all these things. And so, yeah, let the experts do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't have much confidence. Right. Lack of self confidence too. No, exactly. If you can't accomplish uh, something, set a simple. Go at home. Uh, you, uh, you're not going to have confidence to uh, accomplish a, a major goal in the community or in the workplace. And children are ready to imitate whatever the adults are doing around them, and they want you to be doing your work. So they want to help you sweep when they're like one and a half. They want to take the broom and they make a mess of it. But that seems to be a sensitive period for helping with chores. 
So in, in societies where they allow the children to help however they want to and however they can in those early years, they're helpers for life. Yes. Whereas here, we, we kind of don't want them to make the mess. They can't fold the laundry. I'm going to do it. It's faster, you know, when they want to do it at two, three years old. And then when they're teenagers, they don't want to help. Right. So there's a miss, there seems to be a sensitive period for that. Huh. <laughs> and, it's, and it's early on. Yes, early on. All sorts of sensitive periods, I think, for becoming human. Wow. And we just have messed up a lot of them, thinking that adults should be controlling children, coercing them, putting them in school to sit for hours and hours. Right. This is insanity. <laughs> yeah. No, they say that our, our schooling system uh, nowadays uh, at the K-12 through level is, 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 uh, was designed to fit a kind of factory... Adult. Uh, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just sit there and learn and be, be quiet and uh, don't yeah. tackle anything new or creative. Uh, there are school systems, though, that are smarter. Yeah. The Finnish system, they, they get to play a lot throughout the schooling. They don't have tests until high school. Uh, the child directs their own learning. Norway, Japan, you have play every hour when you're in the class. Really? Well, yeah. And they, they know they're paying attention to the research and for some reason. We get very capitalistic here, and it's all about efficiency. And we think yes. efficiency is about time on task or something, but that's not how humans work. You can get a lot of work yeah. done if you take a break. You yeah. need to daydream. You need to play. And then, boy, you get things done really fast then, right? But here we have to drone on and drudge on yeah. as if that's better because people don't know themselves. They don't know. They didn't have the experience themselves. And they don't know that they're actually making things, you know, worse. Or, yeah. Yeah. Suboptimal. That's interesting. People who are advocating for the gig economy, where uh, you know, uh, for these four hours of the day, you're uh, at at the service of uh, anybody who calls Uber, and uh, for four hours a day, you're at the service of anybody who calls Tackle, and for any downtime there might exist in that eight hours, uh, you're not going to be paid. Uh, it's task by task, accomplish, 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 mm. uh, reach metrics, metrics, metrics. And uh, uh, you wisely point out there that uh, work, too, is really more about community where uh, uh, people are allowed to have some downtime and creative interactions with each other, etc. And I think the gig economy might be hurting that. Mm. Yeah, know. you know, life used to be fun for humans. Yeah. It's not much fun anymore if you're a child or adult. Wow. It's just yeah. drudgery. It's like, how do we get through this? And so then you want to, you think of heaven as, you know, the final resting place. I can't wait till I get to heaven. Right. And then we all get to sit around, you know, with the angels and all. Yeah. Well, part of it is because you're suffering so much now. Yeah. That's not our heritage. Heaven is now. Yeah. That's that was our our ancient our ancestral context. The was kingdom of God so, is here. Right on here. Earth. Yes. yes, loving each other, being with each other, enjoying uh, you know the natural world, and and co-creating the next you know moment with one another. Wow. Yes. So that would be uh, if I, I I hope that you consider. Uh, uh, um, restarting this program that uh, that Maybe you were I talking will, about, for the adults. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of them could be just to stress the importance of having fun. Uh, as a as a inveterate watcher of politics and everything, I know that a lot of the uh, uh, observations now are that uh, no one's got a sense of humor. 
well, even too, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. uh, uh, and of course, uh, depending on the politician or whatever, it might be easier some days than other days to to discover, uh, you know, when a person is joking or or how to take what somebody is saying or or things like that. But at the very least, we we kind of need more of an open mind on uh, well, maybe maybe one can take a sense of humor to this or. Uh, uh, be more for forgiving or laugh something off mm -hmm. or yeah. is that right? Yeah. That's, yeah, so that's that flexibility that uh, not taking yourself too seriously, uh, aware that you don't understand everything about that other person or what was said, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Those things take uh, a sense of self, of strong self. And if you have a weak sense of self, if you're very intimidated easily or have a, so you have a chip on your shoulder, you, you know, very kind of superior like, you can't, you're not very, going to be very humorous because you're very brittle. You're very fragile, really, even though you put up a tough front. Right. And our president is that way, I can yeah. say, as a psychologist, I think. He's very brittle. brittle. And so he has all these protective mechanisms. Yeah. Uh, so he doesn't have to feel that. That's an interesting point, full of defense, defense yeah. mechanisms. Everybody's, in uh, and, and a lot of situations, I can see, where he and others are defensive. Right. Just plain old, uh, and defensive in an offensive yes. way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of paradoxical. But, uh, we don't know even how to uh, uh, admit uh, ad ad admit a flaw or right. apologize. Or right. Yeah, well, that's the brittle self then. That's something. So that, that's the inflexible self that is a primal wound that has not been healed. Fascinating. Well, again, uh, thank you very much for people who want to be looking at the world through this lens. Uh, 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 what what uh, resources uh, from yourself and perhaps others uh, w would you recommend in particular? Uh, well, uh, uh, the Evolve Nest, uh, evolvenest.org for general, it's a lot on parenting, but it's also going to have things on, I'm working on that and expanding it for adults too, mm -hmm. for self-healing. So that's part of one of the Nest components is healing practices. How do we get back? Uh, our capacities when they were underdeveloped or we were traumatized or something. Uh, so that's uh, one. Uh, and uh, my Psychology Today blog, I write yeah. a lot about healing too and uh, primal wounds and wisdom and things as well as parenting. Uh, so it's called Moral Landscapes. So Moral I get to landscape. write about everything. Very <laughs> good. Everything is about morality. I love it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> how do we get along and how do we live a good life? <laughs> right. Yeah. Very fine. There's a lot to a uh, lot to delve into, and we thank you for generating so much wisdom uh, along the way and ongoingly. Thanks thank you so for much. being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Second Millennium. TSSM's audio producer is Morgan Burkhart. Our theme music, Igneous Grok, was composed and produced by Vin Marquardt. For my co-host Bill Schmidt, I'm Paul Geesting. Until next time. <laughs>